All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 166, and today we are talking about books being released on July 10th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hello, hello! It's very Monday at the time of Uh. this recording. We were just commiserating over <laughs> how very Monday our Monday has been. A, a comedy of errors is what our lives are. <laughs> yes. Um, well, we hope you are all having an excellent Tuesday upon the time of listening to this. And I have a thing that may make your Tuesday better. We are doing a YA giveaway. Uh, we're giving away $500 of the year's best YA fiction and nonfiction. And the books have been selected by Kelly Jensen, who is a former YA librarian and our current Book Riot YA expert. Um, And there is a full list of the titles included if you want to check it out. You can go to bookriot.com slash 500 YA giveaway. And that's 500, 500, the numbers. Um, And that's also where you can enter to win. And the giveaway ends July 1st, excuse me, July 31st. So you should not sleep on that. You should go and enter and get a whole bunch of amazing YA books. Yes. I'm always so sad doing, I mean, I'm excited to tell people about these, but I'm also sad because I will never get to win any of them. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) I feel the same way. Mm -hmm. But we still get to read a lot of books, so it's cool. That's right. It's true. I have nothing to, what are we going to (laughs) do? I know. I have nothing to complain about. I have stacks of books. Uh, speaking of stacks of books, uh, I sprained my little finger. No. Um, trying to stop a stack of tumbling books and, like, this awkward, like, trying to catch them, push them onto the shelf, and instead, like, pushed my finger between some books. <sighs> which is, like, a very liberty injury. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when all you do is work with books, it's really the only things that are gonna get you. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> so... Uh, Before I get started on my first book, I do just want to give a shout out to Catherine Long in Augusta, Georgia. She got the trivia answer correct last week in Book Riot Insiders when we did our All the Books chat. So hello to her in Augusta, Georgia. Sometimes when we're on our Slack and I think about complaining about the heat, I remember that there are people on there who live in places that are much hotter than (laughs) where I am. (laughs) Including, like, Rebecca and Amanda. So I'm like, I... You know, Augusta, Georgia, I hear, is very, very warm these days, Mm so um, hello to her. And now let me tell you about my first book, because I am so excited about it. It is Clock Dance by Ann Tyler. Ann Tyler, I love her so much. She is one of my favorite writers. She's just consistently wonderful. She, this is her 22nd novel. She writes, like, one novel every tw- every two years. So she's been doing this for 44 years now. She actually gave a, an interview in the New York Times last week, which she hasn't given an interview in a very long time. And she talks a lot about, like, she has, like, imposter syndrome. Basically, she talks about how, like, it took her a really long time to realize, like, she was a writer, even though everybody was, like, telling her. And, you know, writers, they're just like us. <laughs> I just, I love her so much. Uh, this book is about a woman named Willa. She, when the book opens, uh, she is a young girl. It's 1967. Um, she realizes that her mother has gone when she gets home from school. Um, it's a thing that her mother does. She's Her father calls her tempestuous, her mother. Um, but you, her mother's not... She There's something wrong uh, with her mom. And, you know, she's very um, emotional and... 
they, she's just not getting what she needs from her marriage, so she takes it out on the children. You know, she's occasionally abusive towards the girls. Uh, Willa has a little sister. Um, she's very dramatic. And so she's left the house, and so Willa is just thinking, like, this life stinks. Like, her dad's trying to pretend like everything is okay, and he's, like, trying to make them dinner and, like, burning stuff, and she wants to make him food, and it's not working out, and it's just these very emotional, um, like, uh, things going on uh, while she's waiting. Like, and her little sister's like, when's her mom come? When's mom coming home? And she keeps saying, oh, she'll be here any minute, you know. And so then... It moves on to 1977, and now Willa is a young woman. She's in college. Um, she has a new boyfriend. She's flying home with her boyfriend uh, to meet her parents. Um, he's not great. You realize, like, as you're reading this, like, her boyfriend is not great. He doesn't react very well to a situation that happens to her on the plane that causes her a lot of panic, and it should have been handled completely differently. Uh, and he just kind of brushes it off. And so you know, like, going into this, like, he wants to announce to her parents that they're going to get married. And you know going into it that she should not marry this guy. But things happen at the house that, you know, firmly puts her on the side of marrying him. Uh, and then it moves to 1997 when she is a young widow uh, trying to figure out, like, how to handle everything that's going on, what to do with her life. And then to 2017, she has two sons. She's wondering if she will ever be a grandmother. Um, she's wondering what she's going to do with her life uh, when she receives a call from a stranger and sort of impulsively flies back to Baltimore, which is where she was from, to take care of some strangers. I'm not going to tell you who those strangers are. Uh, it's just part of the mystery and the charm. And her books are just so... Her writing is lovely. I find them very relaxing when I read them, even though sometimes they're very sad. Um, but like I said, she's just so consistent and amazing. Um, I just, I, I love her. Like, I always feel better when I'm reading one of her books. So again, it, this one is called Clock Dance, and it's by Ann Tyler. Nice. Um, I, for my first book, I called Dibs on Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. I, t I took it before Liberty could call Dibs on it because I was really excited. Um, it's the next fairy tale retelling she's written, although it's not, it's, it's not actually a sequel or even a shared world, um, to Uprooted, but it is similar in that it is also a fairy tale retelling. Uh, this book comes with a trigger warning for non-sexual domestic violence and child abuse on screen, and it's a pretty big part of the plot, and it happens repeatedly, so if that is a problem for you, you will want to skip this one. Um, and it's a really interesting book. I, I've read her Temeraire books which are like dragons during the Napoleonic Wars um, and I read Uprooted obviously and I really enjoy her work and I like this one I I like this one a lot even though it is to my mind very different from her previous books because I think that it is a bit darker and a bit also more timely is what I want to say than her previous books even though it takes place in like a medieval setting so what it is, is about, uh, it's about magic and it's about elves, but it's also about anti-Semitism and father-daughter relationships and recovering from trauma. And there are a bunch of different first-person narratives, but there's three main young women. Um, one of them is Wanda, who is a village girl with an abusive father. Um, the other one, another one is Miriam, who is a Jewish girl in the same village. Um, and her father has been lending money to the villagers but is not good at then like 
getting the money back, like getting repaid, getting the loans repaid. He just, he's too kind hearted and he just doesn't want, when he asks people, they're like, no, I'm not going to give you anything. And he is just like, okay. Um, and at the beginning of the book, Miriam's mother is sick and she's just like, we're going to, she might die if I don't get some money into the house. So she decides to take up the money collecting duties um, from her father and ends up being pretty good at it um, and starts to make, you know, like, make the family's fortunes improve just by collecting the payments that, you know, should have been collected all along. Um, but of course, the villagers don't particularly love this. Um, so she's a bit of an outcast and she has made herself like a very hard young woman to do this thing, but she's doing it for her family. So you see her sort of struggling with this situation. And then there's Irina, who is the daughter of a duke, um, who is basically a bargaining chip as far as her father is concerned and you know she's not pretty enough so she's not going to make a good match so he's just trying to get her married off and kind of ignores her otherwise and her stepmother is well-meaning but not really involved in her life at all and the way that these three women, young women, sort of intersect and the way their stories intertwine um, becomes more and more fascinating. They, there are, like I said, elves. Um, it's kind of like an Earl King, a play on the Earl King mythology. And uh, Miriam gets so good at earning money for her family that she like makes a boast that she can turn silver into gold and the elves hear. And she catches the attention of the elf king. And things go from there. It's hard to talk about this plot because there's so many different aspects to it, but that's sort of the base nugget, I guess, of it. I want to tell you so much more, but I don't want to spoil anything, and also we are on a timer. So, um, but yeah, I really, I really loved it. I did have some minor quibbles with a certain aspect of the ending, but I think it's just because I was so invested in the characters that I had built up a whole headcanon, and then when that not turned out not to be what was happening, I was like, ooh, like, but I wanted it to go this way. So in my mind, that's a sign of a good, a well-written book. Like, she made me care enough that I, I was already writing the ending before it was even done. And, um, yeah, so, and the fairy tale retellings element, there's actually a bunch. I, like I mentioned, Earl King mythology, and then Rumpelstiltskin is a sort of an obvious one. And also the story of the juniper tree, if you're familiar with that one. You don't have to be familiar with any of those, though, uh, to enjoy and appreciate this book. It's really, it really does stand entirely on its own. Um, so yeah, if you are a fan of fairy tale retellings, if you're a fan of Novik's work, like I think people are going to want to check this out. I think it's really well paced. I thought the character, like the writing of the different POVs, because they're all first person and it changes a lot, was beautifully done. Like they all had distinct voices. They all were very distinct characters. And the the ways that she decided to employ different characters to tell different parts of the story was just excellent. Uh, so I loved it. I just loved it. But again, it's it's not, I don't think it's, I, I think it's something new for her, which I, I think is exciting. Uh, so that's Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. And do you know what you need if you live in the wilds of pseudo-Russia, which these characters do? <laughs> do you like my segue there? Yes. <laughs> is you need good socks. And <laughs> one of our sponsors today is Bombas Socks, the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. Um, so after two years of research and development, they have re-engineered socks with innovations to make them way more comfortable. There is now the Honeycomb Arch Support System to provide extra support for 
arches. There's stay-up technology to make sure the stocks stay in place but never leave a mark. There's super soft cotton material to keep you warm in the winter but cool in the summer, which is always key. And the socks are also, socks are the most requested item in homeless shelters. So Bombas donates one pair of socks for every pair they sell, and they have donated over 7 million pairs so far. So that's amazing. Um, I believe that Liberty has some pairs. I do. Yes. And I like them. I, I talked last week about how I really don't like things on my feet, but these socks are winning me over uh, they're so comfortable. I particularly like the barely there ones because, you know, I don't like things on my feet. So, like, you can't even see them, like, in my sneakers. And it's, like, a million degrees, and I have started exercising all the time. So you need socks in your sneakers. And my feet are, it's, they're amazing. Like, my feet stay nice and cool. Like, I'm 100% behind these socks. You know, and I found that I have them on. Like, I'll look down and realize I have them on after I've taken my sneakers off. And I'm like, ah! socks surprise yeah like that's a that's a good thing if I don't even notice that they're on my feet um so I just absolutely love them nice so you all the books listeners can get 20% off your first order if you go to bombas.com slash all the books and use the code all the books that's b-o-m-b-a-s dot com slash all the books and use the code all the books to get 20% off your first order I'm actually in the market for some new socks because I'm going hiking in Ireland in September <gasps> I know what? super exciting um, I do a four day walking tour uh, with a friend in southern Ireland what? And I need new hiking socks, so might just slide over into that discount. Oh yeah, that's amazing! You're gonna have to tell me all about that after I we will. finish recording the podcast. <laughs> but I'm gonna continue and tell you about my next pick, and try not to take up the rest of the show talking about it. It's Indianapolis: The True Story of the Worst Sea Disaster in U.S. Naval History and the 50-Year Fight to Exonerate an Innocent Man by Lynn Vincent and Sarah Vladek. Now I know that I've mentioned before that. My favorite nonfiction book is probably In Harm's Way by Doug Stanton, which is about the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. This is that same event, um, but his book is like 15 years old now. There's all this new information, plus they just found the wreckage last year, so uh, I, of course, had to read it again. Um, And this was like a story I didn't know. Like, I grew up watching Jaws. I watched Jaws all the time. I did not realize that the story that Quint tells when they're on the ship about his boat sinking when he's in the Navy, is a reference to the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. USS Indianapolis was a huge ship that, during World War II, was part of the mission to help create the atomic bombs. They went out on a secret mission to deliver parts for a little boy uh, to other people in Japan. Well, hardly anyone knew that they were out there, this giant ship. There were uh, 1,200 men aboard. Um, So... There were people at one end, like at Guam, where they were to check in, and there were people at the other end in the United States. There were, like, very few people who actually knew the ship was out there. Uh, So as they were coming back, they were torpedoed. They were hit with two torpedoes, and the ship sank in, like, 12 minutes. Uh, There were 1,200 men aboard. 300 of them died immediately. They went down with the ship. 900 men were tossed into the Pacific, where they spent five nights in the water. And because of mistakes on both ends, like, because they didn't check in, there was a mistake, and so they didn't realize, like, they hadn't checked in at this other place, and so by the time it was all over, only 316 men had survived. And the reason, like, this is so morbid, but the reason that I first heard about this was because I am fascinated by sharks, 
And sharks are a huge part of what happened to these men while they were in the water. Many of them lost their lives to sharks. Um, and so it was just like, it's unimaginable to think about what happened to them while they were there. And the captain of the ship, who was one of the people who survived, he was one of the 316. His name was Captain Charles McVeigh III. He was court-martialed. It was the first time in the history of the Navy that a captain had been court-martialed uh, for losing their ship, and he was convicted. He was stripped of his rank. He, he wasn't allowed to do any of the things that he had been able to do before. Um, and it was just devastating to him. And the fact that the captain, this was like after the war had ended, the captain of the Japanese submarine that shot the torpedoes at the Indianapolis testified in his defense. He said that they literally just popped up in the water and there was this boat. Like, it wasn't like he hadn't been doing his maneuvers correctly. It wasn't like, you know, they had been making too much noise. It wasn't anything. It was sheer luck that they found this boat. And the men that were in the water with this captain, they, they testified on his behalf and, and they stuck by their captain. They said it had nothing to do with him. You know, it wasn't his fault, but he still, you know, was he still was convicted. Um, and so for like three years, the families of these men that lost their lives, they sent him hate mail. He got these letters, you know, yeah. telling him that, you know, it was his fault and, and all this stuff. And it went on for like three years until he died by suicide. And, oh my gosh. Yeah. And for 50 years, the last 50 years, the survivors and, you know, people related to him have been fighting to um, exonerate him, to like clear his name. Um, because they there's a lot of extenuating circumstances, a lot of information that wasn't brought forward, a lot of people lying about stuff. And they, the authors of this book, they interviewed 107 survivors and eyewitnesses to what went on uh, for the story, and make it uh, they deliver a clearer picture of, of what happened. Um, and it's just it's very I find the story compelling. I, I'm not entirely sure like what draws me to it, but you know there's so much drama and action and you know with heartbreak and. It's just, it's so fascinating. So if you're interested in history, if you're interested in military history, um, this is a great book. It's Indianapolis, The True Story of the Worst Sea Disaster in U.S. Naval History by Lynn Vincent and Sarah Vladek. Wow. What a story. I didn't know any of that. Um... Well, there are no sharks in my next book. <laughs> Perhaps there are emotional sharks, though. It is a very complicated and messy novel. It's The Occasional Virgin by Hanan Al-Sheikh. And this is this is such an interesting book. I I I'm gonna be thinking about this book for a really long time because it has it's such it's not very long, but it's got so much going on in it. Like I think it's yeah, it's like under three hundred pages, but there's a lot here. So which is funny because when you read the synopsis out loud, it doesn't sound like that much. So it's about two young women, uh, like who are in their I want to say mid to late twenties. I don't remember exactly. Um, their names are Yvonne and. Huda, and they are both from Lebanon. They have known each other since they were children. And now as grownups, they have kind of divergent lives, but they've kept in touch. And the book opens with them on vacation together in the French Riviera. Um, and there are, you know, they're like the biggest conflict at the opening of the book is that, you know, Huda is not a calm a confident swimmer and Yvonne is like, you know, a water baby. Um, and so it's like, who's going to go in and who's going to stay on the beach? Like that's like the biggest conflict of the first chapter. Um, but there's also, they have very different sort of interests in terms of having men in their lives. Yvonne really desperately wants to settle down and have a baby and a family. 
And Huda is seeing somebody, but is just kind of not concerned about it. Um, and so Yvonne is kind of like on the lookout to see if she can find somebody. And she actually doesn't even care if she has a partner at this point. She just really wants to have a child. Um, so that is driving some of her interactions with the people they meet. And then um, Yvonne is Christian and Huda is Muslim. And they that kind of comes up when they go, they meet up again in London after this vacation is over um, where Yvonne lives and Huda is working on a play. And they are, like, I don't want to spoil anything, but they have more interactions that, like, get kind of intense and strange um, and get very messy and very complicated. And there's a lot of gray areas here. And the thing that Al-Sheikh is sort of taking on is the hypocrisy um, that she sees in Islam around sexuality and women and men's interactions. And so that plays a big role in the second half of the book. And it is really interesting. I don't think that either of them is like, quote unquote, unlikable. I just think they are women who are doing how do I want to say this? They're responding to the pressures of their family and the pressures of their society in the best ways that they can, but those ways don't always look 100% great like when you make those decisions. So it's a really interesting look at these two very different women and their friendship and what they want out of life and how they're dealing with their family histories, which are different. Neither of them had super happy relationships with their mother or their childhoods. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot about religion and, and, and immigration also. It's, I mean, there's so much going on here. Uh, so I'm finding, I'm still finding my way into talking about it, as you can tell, but I think it's a really interesting novel and I am going to be continuing to think about the different pieces of it, um, for a while. So again, that's the occasional version by Hanan Al-Sheikh. All right. I have that to read. I haven't gotten to it yet, but yeah. I'm definitely going to check it out. My next pick is a very slim book. I loved it. It's nonfiction. It's called The Cost of Living. It's by Deborah Levy. I loved her novel, Hot Milk. I think I talked about it on the show. Um, this is just a little sort of slice of her life, her thoughts. She's talking about the end of her marriage at 50 and what it's like to restart her life or even she kind of feels in a way to start her life. Like what it means to start being the main character in your story when you've spent so much time taking care of other people. Like she had a husband and two children. Um, and at this point, like one of her daughters has just left for college and one still lives with her, you know, and she's focusing on herself now. And she's like, what does that mean? And like, how do you restart in a new home? They decide the best thing to do is to sell their family home uh, instead of, like, one of them living there and the other moving out. So now she has to move to a new place with her children. And it's sort of, like, uh, the viewpoint of being a creative in this new situation. Um, you know, she has some thoughts on enduring love. Like, what does it mean? Is it actually possible to sustain a relationship for that long and still have the same feelings and not change and, you know, or change and still feel the same way about people? Um, she moves into this charmingly small but sort of decrepit apartment. She talks about, like, growing plants and, and redecorating. and But, like, all of it is just so interesting, the way that she talks about it. Um, she moves into the writing shed of a poet that she knew and, and talks about 
what she does while she, like her work there and the different sights and sounds that she experiences. And she discusses some wisdom from other writers about restarting your life and you know change and just really interesting stuff. And like I said, it's a very small book, but I just found it kind of like glamorous. I don't know if that's the wrong word to use when someone's like, my marriage is over. And I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. But <laughs> I just, you know, like the way she writes about it is very yeah. interesting. And it's very interesting to me because, you know, I'm 42 and she's, you know, talking about like life at that age. So I just, I loved it. So again, it is called The Cost of Living and it's by Deborah Levy. Our next sponsor is Our Kind of Cruelty by Araminta Hall, which I talked about on the show when it came out. Woo-woo! It came out from MCD, FSG. Uh, Julian... I can't talk. Julian Flynn said, Our Kind of Cruelty is simply one of the nastiest and most disturbing thrillers I've read in years. I loved it right down to the utterly chilling final line. And Charles Finch wrote in the New York Times book review that it is a searing, chilling sliver of perfection and may well turn out to be the year's best thriller. Our Kind of Cruelty is a spellbinding, darkly twisted novel about desire and obsession and the complicated lines between truth and perception, and it's Mike's love story, and if he watches Verity very closely, he will know when to rescue her. And I'm very happy to learn, I was talking about this when I, I read it and discussed it on the show, I'm very happy to learn that uh, those of you out there that have read it since then uh, did not find the thing that happened at the end to be the way that uh, I had read about online um, because I thought that was really upsetting if that was actually, I can't tell you what it is, but it would be really upsetting if you thought it was that way, I think. So I'm happy to learn that most of you did not feel that it happened, but I need to read the book to find out what it is that I am talking about. <laughs> so check it out. Everybody loves it. AJ Finn, the author of The Woman in the Window, said it's a perfect nightmare of a novel as merciless as a thriller as I've ever read, astonishingly dark and sensationally, sensationally accomplished. Uh, so it's lots of fun. Again, it's called Our Kind of Cruelty, and it's by Araminta Hall. It is out now wherever books are sold. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. All right. Not a thriller. My next book is a romance novel. It is A Gentleman... Does it have sharks? It does not have sharks. I wish mm. there was a shark theme, Liberty. I really wish. One of my books has ocean in the title, but I'm All not at right. that one yet. But there's no okay. sharks in that either. Um, spoilers. Misleading. <laughs> uh, it is. It's false advertising. So, okay, so A Gentleman Never Keeps Score by Cat Sebastian is technically number two in the Seducing the Sedgwick series, but I never read romance novels in order basically ever, and I came here to tell you that while it did make me want to read the first one and the next one. I was not at all lost um, to know what was going on. And this book also comes with a trigger warning for a reference to sexual abuse, but it is never on the page. Um, it is about a young man named Hartley Sedgwick, who is... He was basically a kept man um, by this older, entitled guy and that man has died and left Hartley one of his like his his one of his London townhouses um and Hartley is being shunned by polite society because it came out in, through rumors what his relationship with this older I think he was an earl um, ha, was and that is obviously illegal in Regency England which is when this takes place um, and so there wasn't enough evidence to actually send him to jail or be executed but it's enough that polite society is like not going to talk to him anymore and this is really gutting for him because he 
basically thought that once he became a gentleman, because he grew up sort of impoverished and, you know, didn't have money or like security. Um, and this is all that he wants in the world, which is why he became a kept man in the first place. Uh, he thought that once he had money and was a gentleman, was considered a gentleman and was part of polite society, like he would be protected from all of that. And that is turning out not to be true. It's really sad, actually. Hartley at the beginning, you're like, oh, friend, like you're, you're, you are, you are a sad person. Um, and he accidentally runs into, well, okay, that's not true. There, the other hero of the novel is Sam Fox, who is a part of the free black community in London and is now a, um, he owns a bar and is the bartender, but he used to be a prize fighter. He used to be a boxer, but he has retired. And he has a very good friend named Kate who once posed for a nude portrait for this old now deceased Earl that Hartley got the house from. And um, he promises, Sam, promises his friend Kate that he will try to find the painting and destroy it because Kate wants to get married but she's afraid that if the painting ever becomes public her husband will not like he he loves her but she's afraid it will destroy their relationship so Sam goes off to try to like break into the house to find the painting and runs across Hartley who's like what's going on here um and they form a very unlikely relationship and this one it's interesting because I've only read one other Cat Sebastian novel I read The Ruin of a Rake which I really loved but I felt like that one was a little more lighthearted than this one this one like goes darker than I was expecting but in a really beautiful way and one of the things that I love about Cat Sebastian is that she is breaking so many sort of like unspoken rules of Regency romance like she's writing LGBTQ Regency romance and one of her characters is black um, and neither of these characters is titled like neither of them has a title which almost always in Regency romance like you've got a duke or an earl that is the hero or you know a young woman who can, like is going to be a countess like that's not what's going on here um, and it is really lovely how the characters play off of each other and come to trust each other and Hartley has so much baggage because he was mistreated and doesn't like to be touched and it's very complicated it's also super explicit just FYI like these sex scenes are very steamy um, but there's also so much emotional weight to this book and like I said I definitely want to go back and read the first one in the series and I will be reading the next one too so that is A Gentleman Never Keeps Score by Cat Sebastian I'm going to write a romance. It's going to be a shark never keeps score. And it's going to be by Shark Sebastian. I would read that book. All right. Well, since I'm not doing anything later, maybe I'll do it then. <laughs> but first, I'll tell you about my last pick real quickly. I just wanted to mention this because it's out in paperback now. It's Refuge by Dinah Nayari. And it came out last year. I can't remember if we talked about it on the show, so I wanted to mention it again. It's a moving novel about the contemporary immigrant experience. It's about uh, Nailu. She uh, was a young girl when she and her mother and brother left Iran to go to America. They left their father behind. Um, and it's sort of told over the four visits that she has uh, with her father over two decades. Um, and now she's living in Europe in a time when people are seeking refuge from all over the world, like in record numbers, and she's living with her husband, um, and she's thinking about where she's from, like, like, she wants to find her roots. She was very young when she went to America, and 
she wants to know more about her roots, um, but she has a, an interesting relationship with her dad. Like I said, she's only seen him four times uh, in two decades since they left. And, but she wants to know, like, uh, you know, about what, what it means to have a sense of home. And she wants to help her father. You know, he's a dentist. He's, like I said, he stayed behind in Iran. Um, he's, his life is, is not great. He's just divorced, like, his third wife. He has an opium problem. Um, you know, but despite all her misgivings about him, she still wants to take care of him and, like I said, learn about where she's from. Um, but also, like, her experience being an immigrant helps her, um, feel close to a group of refugees that she meets, uh, where she lives now. Um, and it's just this beautifully told, sad, um, lovely novel about what it means to call a place home you know, like, and to what it means to be a part of a community and alternately to be told or to feel like you never belong. So again, that is called Refuge and it's by Dinah Nayari. Interestingly enough, my next pick is a lot about the same things, except it's the time travel sci-fi version of that. It's, huh. yeah, I know, right? It's An Ocean of Minutes by Thea Lim. And I do have a lot of trigger warnings this week. This one includes sexual assault on the page. So Keep that in mind. Um, but this is such an interesting book. Okay, so most time travel in sci-fi is either, like, to the far future, right? Like, you know, you're going into the future where there's, like, technology and things that we don't have and America's different or whatever. Or you go, like, way back into the past. Um, this one, the time travel starts in, like, 1979 and or 80, yeah, 80, and goes to an alternate 1998, which is such an interesting thing to have done, I think, because what it means that Thea Lim has done here in An Ocean of Minutes is that she has decided to sort of cut out all of the, like, techno stuff and instead focus on the culture and society shift that can happen in the space of less than 20 years. Like, what what would a jump of 20 years be like to a person? And the alternate 1998 that she goes to, that the main character Polly goes to, is terrible um and what the mechanism by which this all happens is that uh america the idea is that in the 1980s um a terrible flu was released upon the population and it just so happened also that time travel was discovered but it was bounded by 12 years so you couldn't go more than 12 years forward into the future at a time and you also couldn't go back to before time travel was invented so there's no way to fix the flu so what the people and of course it's the property of a corporation so what this corporation is doing is saying things like well if you will go forward in time for us we have we have needs for these kinds of people in the future and if you will go forward in time, we will take care of your current day loved ones. Um, and Polly's boyfriend, Frank, has got the flu. So she signs up to go forward in time so that he will be saved. And they have this whole plan to meet up at this hotel in Texas um, when she gets there. Like they've picked like, OK, Saturday is in September, like in, you know, but she thinks she's going to 1993. And instead, they send her to 1998. So she gets there and America is completely unrecognized. Um, she is in a part of America that is now a separate country from the United States. So, like, there's the United States and then there's the Americas. Um, 
and there's crazy border control and there is it's just like a weird indentured labor situation um for meaningless you know resorts and it's it's nothing like she, what she's used to and nobody will explain to her what's going on they don't want to sit down and tell her all of the things or they don't even register because they're not from you know her the past which she is from and so they don't even think to tell her some things and she's just kind of fumbling around trying to figure this all out and also trying to find Frank um and she's like it's been 18 years is he He's still going to have waited. Like, of course he's waited. I've done all this for him. Because for her, it's been, you know, just like a weird, very short amount of time since when she left him. Um, but she knows that it's been so much longer for him. And so this is a book that is about, you know, can love last across more than a decade of separation um, and in less than ideal circumstances, and then how borders can separate people as like geographic borders, um, what it's like to be an immigrant in a situation where nobody has any desire to tell you what is going on or the mechanisms by which you need to function in a society. And it is, there are no easy, simple answers here. It is, again, very messy. I feel like that was the theme of all of my books this week. It's like, things are messy. Feelings are messy. Emotions <laughs> are complicated. Like, that was the that was the overriding theme. Even though I picked such different books, like, that was just kind of what they all ended up being about. Um, but I thought it was really well done. And it's definitely, uh, it's definitely dark, but it's also got sort of a gallows humor to it. Um, and it reminded me of, well, I mean... Omar Al-Akkad has blurbed this, and he is the author of American War. Um, Matt Johnson, who writes also really great satire, um, has is has blurbed it, and I think I think maybe he was her teacher. She thanked him in the in the acknowledgments, and it also has a little bit of Gary Steingart in that like absurdist way. So there's a lot of interesting things going on in this book, and I think it's a really amazing debut. Actually, I I I'm like this author writes Thelem writes like she's written like she's written a bunch of novels like it's just very well done so I yeah not an easy book not like a haha fun times one but one that has its real moments of humor and also is just like an amazing thought experiment and has so much heart and heft to it so that's an ocean of minutes by Thea Lim all right mm-hmm. we made it we did it despite the fact that it's the Mondayest of Mondays. <laughs> the Mondayest of Mondays. Yeah. Which is really unfair because we just had the Thursdayest of Mondays. Oh. Or the Mondayest of Thursdays, I should say. After I know, we, the fourth last week. <laughs> we basically had three Mondays in two weeks, which is yeah. deeply unfair. Deeply yeah. unfair. Yes. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those were our new books. What are you going to read next? I have the sequel to Hunger Makes the Wolf, which is Blood Binds the Pack by Alex Wells, I, who is a contributor of Book Riot, but also an amazing author. I really love these books. They're the closest thing I've come to in a while for a Becky Chambers comp. So <laughs> if you are one of those people who is obsessed with A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet and is looking for something that will give you similar feelings, um, I definitely recommend them. I'm really excited to read the sequel. What about you? Uh, well... I picked up the first Alex Wells book on oh. your recommendation. I haven't read it yet. But um, I have just started, uh, let me make sure I say this correctly because it's a lot. It's Coma Madre by Roque Laraque. Uh It is this interesting, strange uh, little indie book from Coffee House. Uh, so many people recommended it to me. So I've started reading it. 
it's very disturbing <laughs> and strange. Like, you know, that's something when I say that. Um, but it, it, like, takes place in two parts. I'm in the first part, which is, like, in Argentina in 1907, uh, a doctor who becomes involved in these experiments that are, like, investigating um, life after death. And then, I haven't gotten to this part yet, but apparently, a hundred years later, there is an artist who changes himself physically to, and becomes, like, his own art. Um, and, like, the extremes that he goes to through, yeah, goes to, to and puts himself through uh, to achieve that. Um, and, like, I, I've heard, like, it's scary and gross and weird and brilliant, and it's, I'm finding all of those things. Like, um, like the part I'm at right now, I'm a little distressed, but uh, I'm going to keep reading it because it's so interesting. So, there you have it. Mm-hmm. So, that is it for today. Uh, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to let us know something. Tell us about how you're having a Monday. Oh, wait, no, it's Tuesday today. Well, you will have another Monday, though, someday, so don't worry. Um, you can find us online. I am Miss Liberty on Twitter. Jen is jenirl.tumblr.com if you want to check her out. Uh, and if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. Uh, thank you to our sponsors today, Bombas. You can find them. Oh, I closed my notes, so oh, that's no good. You can find <laughs> them by going to bombas.com slash all the books, and you can get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash all the books. And thank you to our kind of cruelty that is out from FSG Books. We will have a link to that in the show notes. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, and I closed all my notes, so you can read about more <laughs> titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.